The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives life to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not out of natural descent, nor out of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who comes from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the last four months, we've been working our way through the book of Genesis, which is the book of, literally, the book of beginnings. Already we've had the beginning of time, the beginning of the heavens and earth, the beginning of the human story, the beginning of the sin story and the beginning of the redemption story. And over these last few weeks we've been reading about the flood story and in the last couple of weeks as the waters have receded from the earth we've been reading of a new beginning. And as that new beginning unfolds Noah brings a sacrifice and worship and thanksgiving. And God establishes with him a covenant which we've talked about and he says um, I'm going to put this little rainbow in the sky. My promise is that I will never again destroy all of life with a flood. And to remind you of that, I'm putting my rainbow in the sky. A covenant for all generations. As the story unfolds, we come across another covenant. We'll come across the covenant that God makes with a man named Abraham. And that's the beginning of a nation, Israel. And God says, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you fruitful, and I will make many nations of you. And kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you. 
and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. And as the story continues to unpack, this covenant too has a sign, and I smiled to myself, life is not fear. Noah got a rainbow. Abraham got circumcision. Go figure. As the story continues, we come to Moses and another new covenant. When Moses went to the people and told them all of the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. And when Moses wrote down everything that the Lord had said, he got up early the next morning and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he, Moses, took the book of the covenant and read it to the people and they responded, we will do everything that the Lord has said. We will obey. And then Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. A nation of Israel is now defined by this law, by this covenant, and its sign is the blood of a sacrifice. And then as the story continues, we have another new covenant. In 2 Samuel, Lord Almighty, God of Israel, David prays, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house, I will build a lineage for you. So your servant, David prays, to your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God, your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. And later his son, Solomon, in 2 Chronicles 7.18, God says to Solomon, I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father, whom I said you will never fail to have a successor to rule over Israel. And then we fast forward further. And in Luke 22, in the upper room, on the eve of the crucifixion, after the supper, Jesus takes the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And 1 Corinthians, speaking of that night, Paul puts it this way. In the same way after supper he took the cup, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread, and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we have these five key covenants. There's other covenants in the Old Testament and in the New. But these five key covenants from the Bible, the covenant with Noah, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Moses, the covenant with David and Jesus. Abraham's covenant did not replace the covenant with Noah. It did not bring an end. 
The covenant with Moses did not bring an end to the covenant with Abraham. And the covenant with David did not replace the covenant through Moses. Each covenant prepares the way for the next. Each one prepares the way for the one that will follow. Each builds on the one that has gone before. And all of them find fulfillment in the covenant that is Jesus. The covenant that is secured, that is symbolized, it's a sign, is here on the table in front of us. When the early church celebrated the Lord's Supper, it seems, there's debate, but it seems to me it was in the context of a, of a full-on feast. And so what we have is a symbol of a symbol. This is a, a reminder of what was occurring. They would have these large agape feasts, the Lord's Feast. And what was happening in the church at Corinth is that it was a bring your own and share. And so we'd have tables all over the auditorium and the rich people would bring their beautiful plates of food and they would sit in the rich people's corner and eat the rich people's food and the poor people would grab a table in the poor people's corner and just sit and eat whatever they had left. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, go and read the passage in 1 Corinthians 11 sometime. Because Paul says to them, some of you are gorging yourselves with food and others are going without. That, that imagery speaks so much of the body of Christ. In Romans 1.18, Paul declares that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. See, nothing has changed because as we've read in recent weeks, way back in Genesis, God observed that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The problem being is if you quote this in the world, they think you're condemning them. But that speaks to my own heart, the nature of my own heart. In Romans, Paul continues, he says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, there is no one who seeks God, all have turned away, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And he continues, but now apart from the law, there is a righteousness of God that has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that comes by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. You know, in Noah's day he brought punishment on the whole earth. And he said, I'm not going to do that again. 
But God's wrath doesn't go away. But for a long season, he left judgment. He left sin unpunished. There was so much in the story. There was so much in the scripture. There was so much in this passage. There was so much in this meal to try to capture. When the Apostle Paul refers to the Old Covenant, he's usually referring to the covenant with Moses because that's the context in which Paul is writing. However, the Old Covenant, the New Covenant, it's not the whole story. As we've been reading through Genesis, the story is God's story first and foremost. It is about him and his glory and his might and his majesty. And we do him a huge disservice. In fact, we do a Genesis 3 if we make the story first and foremost about us. But it's his story. And flowing from his story, it becomes about his love for and his plan for people, for humanity. As I said last week, there are three things that have not changed in the story so far in Genesis, and they have not changed today, and they will not change in this life. God's command is to go and to multiply and to rule. God's heartbreak for broken humanity. I took two very, very deep breaths reading the Herald yesterday. One of the men lost his life in a car park in a church in South Auckland, and I walked through that car park a few times out of the Seventh day Adventists of Papatoi. Margaret used to run a few conferences out there in days gone by. And that's kind of close to home. And then there's a man quietly, quietly doing his daily work in his dairy. And he goes home to his expectant wife. Well, he didn't go home, he went to hospital having lost two fingers. We cannot say this is a a story for the olden days. And God's heart doesn't break any less today than it has at any other time through human history. And yet there is always a light that shines in the darkness. I had a friend in Melbourne who grew up Greek Orthodox and he was never fussed about all the celebrations around Christmas. He said it's too secular. So we used to have this great conversation. I said, you know the thing for me? It's the one time in the year where everybody wants to talk about Christmas. Even if they don't acknowledge it, if they don't know it, it becomes the one opportunity in the year when people will stop and at least be thinking. Someone said there were like 19,000 or 25,000 at the Christmas parade. I didn't make it down. I wasn't one of them. I don't like crowds. 
But with that many people there, and there was all sorts of floats and all sorts of messages, but in the middle of that, there was an opportunity for a gospel message. And that same truth is played out in place after place. A light shining in the darkness. The opportunity to bring the truth of the gospel. But God's judgment still had to be poured out and we're told in 2 Corinthians by Paul that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Whereas in the story we've been reading God's wrath was poured out on the whole earth and eight were saved. At the cross God's judgment was poured out upon his own son. And you may remember the verse of scripture from Peter that we've referred to a couple of times about when God waited patiently as in the days of Noah while the ark was being built and that only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolises baptism which now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Paul declares, in fact God declares, because God is the primary author of scripture, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When the judgment was poured out at the time of the flood, those within the ark were safe. And as final judgment is poured out, those who are in Christ are safe. We are in him and we are safe because he has taken upon himself every punishment for everything that we have ever done. And it doesn't stop there because the blessing to Abraham was he said, I will, God said, I will bless you and whoever... I, um, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all people on earth will be blessed through you God's plan for humanity is not just that we be blessed but that we take that blessing that we become conduits, agents of blessing to others and the whole covenant from Moses would be so much could be said all pointing to and all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. Because then we have this covenant with David. Because the Jesus story doesn't stop with an empty tomb. Jesus is raised up to sit on a throne at the right hand of God. And through the words of Paul in Ephesians, God declares, As for you, you were dead in transgression and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient all of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its thoughts, desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath but because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him 
in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You know, when you read that, it doesn't say, and God will raise us up. It doesn't say one day God will raise us up. It says God raised us up. God has raised us up in Christ. And he has seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And I sit there and go, wow, what does that mean? What are the implications of that? He has raised us up and we are seated with him in Christ. Now we won't see the fullness of that in this life. But I believe like everything, there is some element of that that we should be experiencing in this life. Some element of not only going forth and multiplying, but somehow ruling, rising above the things of this world. It's so easy to reduce the biblical narrative to a series of stories. That's why I like the process of working through book after book. We may even see that we should study the scriptures in depth and, and develop understanding of the context and, and discern what the message is for today and that's all really important. But it seems to me that the story is so much bigger than I could ever comprehend. You know, it's such a simple story. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die for us. That if we believe in him, if we trust in him, we need not perish, but we will have everlasting life. We will rule and reign with him. It's a very simple story. When I go to my television, I, well, I don't go to my television, I just sit there, push a button, the TV comes on. How does that happen? I don't know. Now, there are people who need to know and they need to understand that. But you know when it comes, push comes to shove, you just push the button and the TV comes on. And when push comes to shove my faith, I don't need to understand how it all works. I just need to know it does. when I think of the shepherds going and seeing this little baby in a manger I was reading someone there's a song that says Mary did you know and there was a meme playing out on Facebook it's like yes she did she read the story she was told by the angel what was going to happen she knew but the shepherds didn't have a clue they just knew that in the stable was born one who was the saviour of men joy to the world good news for all and they didn't have to understand. And we don't have to understand. But I believe we do what they did, which is simply to come and bow down and worship. In a few moments we're going to take part in communion. It captures not just the new covenant, it captures the whole message of the gospel. Because the whole message of the gospel centres on this moment. 
on the things that are symbolized on this covenant that we have through the life and death of Jesus Christ. And if you understand levels of that, that's wonderful. And I encourage you to continue to explore levels of that and, and to continue to learn and to understand. But more than anything, we need to come as little children and simply receive what God has done for us and to stand in awe and worship him. Mike and Hannah are going to come and they're going to lead us in um, the first song of our worship time. But it's not a, our worship time is not a, a time of singing, it's a time of worship. And as we say, it's an opportunity for people to pray, quietly or out loud. If God lays something on your heart that you believe is something that you should be sharing. If you've got a need and you want someone to pray for you, if God lays it on your heart that you need to go and pray with someone else. David challenged us last time we did communion that if there is a if there's something in your spirit, there's something you've got with someone else, you need to go and sort that out. The Apostle Paul continues and he says actually you've got to have respect and acknowledge the whole body. If you're making this about you and this is between me and you God, this is the body of Christ broken. Because he then goes to talk about that meal where the, the rich ones were feeding well and the poor were being left to the side. And he makes an interesting comment there. He said, that's why some of you, some of us are weak and sickly and some have died. I'd love some insight on what that means. I've wrestled with that. But I wonder whether it's because these guys over here are getting sick because they're just eating all the best food. And these ones are getting sick because they just don't have anything. But of course at the end of that chapter it goes into the 1 Corinthians 12 and he begins to talk about spiritual gifts and again if we use them for ourselves or we use them for the body. Do we have what we've got to make ourselves feel good and to make ourselves feel built up? Or has God given us gifts, he's given us passions, he's given us abilities, he's given us skills so that we can Bless others if we have been blessed, that we can build one another up, that we can serve one another. And that doesn't stop within this building. It goes beyond here. I always say this is the training ground. If you want to learn to pray for someone, do it here. It's kind of safe. And then you won't feel so uncomfortable. You probably will still feel uncomfortable. You won't feel as uncomfortable out there. If you want to learn how to pray for someone for healing, I was going to put a little photo up there and it's an aerial shot of the Salvation Army Training College in Wellington where Margaret and I trained for ministry back in uh, 1987 and I was going to point out the spot at the end of a little cul-de-sac where I stood and had an argument with a guy and him and I are still good friends but he was telling me how God heals today and I was telling him how God doesn't and uh, we ended that argument, we were still friends but we were pretty heated. But God graciously brought some people into my life that opened my eyes to what God does. We had a son. We have a son, Liam. He's uh, just recently turned 30. When he was a baby, about this time, he looked really, really sickly. He was born in November. He was really, really sickly 30 years ago. For the first six months of his life, he was a chronic asthmatic. 
fact, he was so sick that we were always going to the doctor for the nebulizer. So we went and bought a little nebulizer that looked like a kiddie's lunchbox. And every day we would end up putting him on this nebulizer. And then we had to go away to an event and we um, asked friends of ours to look after him because we couldn't take him with us. He was about seven months old. And they said, well, what do we do if he has an asthma attack? Well, we said, ha, just pray for him. Sort of half-jokingly. And we came back from that event and uh, had an asthma attack on the Monday night and they'd had their eldership there. And so he called, they called their eldership in and they prayed for him. And Liam has never had asthma since that day to this. Now my daughter Janine and myself, we're asthmatics. We've been prayed for many times and we've still got asthma. I don't understand that. But I understand what happened to my son. I looked up during the week trying to track down a lady we knew back in Wellington, a lady called Linda. When we first met Linda, she had schizophrenia. By the time we left that church, she was diagnosed or down, her diagnosis had been downgraded to um, uh, manic depression. She told her the day, those of you who are older will remember the uh, ad for Drive with the Hungry Little Enzymes. She said, I was standing outside the, ch outside the church door she came and told us this afterwards and she said um, we'd prayed for her many times. On one occasion actually she'd come because she was having an issue with bleeding and we prayed for her and she came back a week later and she said God healed me. And then she said it was just like that woman in the Bible who touched the hem of his garment. She had had this blood for so many years and God healed her in that moment. I said Lindley, I know you shared briefly last Sunday of your healing. I know how severe I've had conversations about how severe and how dangerous that was and the miracle that came as people faithfully prayed for you. You know, we pray for ourselves, but God wants us to minister to one another because it's about building relationship. Anyway, the back was Lady Linda and she said, I was standing outside the church, just outside in the foyer in the church in Wellington in Wainui Amata, and she said, um, I was talking with someone I could see the words from the voices. And she said it was just like those hungry little enzymes in the driver. They just came and ate up the words. And she said the voices have gone. God has blessed us with every richness in Jesus Christ. And we are to share that. And if we had a Learn how to pray, to teach one another, to serve one another. If we can do it here, it will overflow into the world around us. Because there is a darkness out there, there is a pain out there, there is an anguish out there. And God has given us the light. He says, I am the light of the world. And he says, oh, by the way, you're the light on the world. So let's stand together as we worship. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.